Good morning, welcome. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Kimberly Rodriguez-Riedel. I'm the missions pastor here at Journey the Church. And thank you. And for those of you who are new, a very special welcome. We're so glad you've joined us this morning. Um, It's such an honor and a privilege to share God's word with you today. And before I do that, I'm gonna pray. King of glory, come and fill this place with your presence. We worship you and we praise you. We give you all praise and glory. And we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and to lift you up and to listen to what you want to say to us. So prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have for us. And use my lips, use my mouth, use my voice to speak to your people the message that you have for them. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue discovering and journeying through the book of Mark about who Jesus is. So far, we've discovered that he's powerful and empowering, that he's willing to cleanse lepers and to heal hopeless medical conditions and bring peace. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, he is called the Prince of Peace. He is the author of life. In this fast-paced book of Mark, we get a glimpse of the power and the beauty of God through the life and ministry of Jesus. As we read through the Gospels, we witness the life of an extraordinary man. He walks in supernatural power and authority, and he is full of compassion and merciful. Jesus is God himself come in human form. And if we want to know what God is like, we gaze upon the face of Jesus. You can see the beauty of this man and the way that he lives his life and the way that he treats people and the way that he changes lives. We're in awe of the way he does miracles. His life inspires us. It motivates us. It fills us with joy as we witness a 12-year-old girl come back to life and be reunited with her parents. And a woman who has suffered for a dozen years restored to wholeness. As I read through the Gospels, I see the one who is chief among 10,000, fairer than the sons of men, with grace upon his lips, the mighty one, full of glory and majesty, the one who gave the full extent of his love. As I behold this man, I fall deeper in love with him, and I long to be more like him. Today we will behold Jesus as the miracle worker. And as a matter of fact, the book of Mark records 21 full-fledged miracles. Today we will focus on two of these astounding miracles. And may we be set free from the fear caused by the storms in our lives and awestruck 
by the power and the majesty of this miracle-working man who is God himself come down to live among us. I'm going to start today by talking about what actually is a miracle. And according to the Dictionary of Bible Themes, it defines miracles as events, signs, wonders, or experiences that demonstrate the greatness of God's power. And so I hope today that as you look at these miracles that you would in fact see the greatness of God's power. The first miracle that we're gonna look at is the feet of Jesus walking on water. We all know it's humanly impossible to walk on water. However, Jesus defies the law of nature. To give you some context to the story, Jesus is in the Galilee region, and he's on the shores, and he and his disciples, they've just finished feeding 5,000 people. So now we're gonna move into the book of Mark, chapter six, starting at verse 45. And this is what the word of God says. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when, he saw, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw them saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And the last part of it says, then he climbed into the boat, the wind stopped, they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And I hope today that our hearts are not too hard to understand the power and the beauty of this miracle-making man. After a busy season of ministry, with lots of people coming and going, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to Bethsaida. And he sends the crowd on, her way, on, on their way, and then he slips off to a mountain to go pray. And as we look for clues into the supernatural life of Jesus, we see that he is a man of prayer an intentional setting aside of time to talk with the Father, to fellowship, commune, 
and enjoy time in his presence. This communication and connection provides direction for the Son of God. In fact, many times we see him purposely going off to a solitary place to, um, to listen to what God's telling him. And I love what it says in the beginning of, of the book of Mark in chapter one, there's actually this scripture and it says, now in the morning, having risen, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So here you can see Jesus habitually, as you, as you go throughout the record of scripture, you can see that he was a man who took time out of his busy life with a ministry and he would go off and he would pray. In fact, if you'll notice, there are very strategic times in his life when he does pray. In the book of Luke, it tells us before he chooses the 12, he has an all-night prayer session. And I don't, it doesn't say for sure, but I can imagine that he and the Father are having a discussion about who he wants Jesus to choose as his dream team. And so you also can look and you can see um, right before, um, there's a moment in time when Jesus takes his, his, his three besties, his Peter, um, Paul, no, Paul, <laughs> Peter, John, and James, he takes those three up onto the mountain because they're gonna go pray. He's like, come on, guys, let's go pray. And up there on that mountain is when he's transfigured and they see him and they see Moses. And so there are very significant things happen when Jesus takes a break to go pray. And of course, who can forget that moment right before he's ready to face the cross? He goes into that garden of Gethsemane and it's like there he draws the strength. There the angels minister to him to prepare him for what he's about to face. And so the first thing that I wanna say to you is that God, I, I believe that God wants his people to be powerful prayer warriors. In fact, if you look in the book of Isaiah, it says, I have called my house to be a house of prayer for all nations. And I believe one of the primary functions as a church here in this community is for us to be prayerful, to be prayerful people just like Jesus showed us in his example. So that was the first point that I wanted to make today. And then the next thing that I want to say is that, you know, it's interesting. Jesus is on the shore and the Sea of Galilee isn't that big, but I mean, it's big enough that I'm sure physically he couldn't see them. They were maybe half you know, halfway across the lake, and he's sitting on shore. But the text tells us that he sees that they're struggling against the wind. And you say, how did he see them? Obviously, he didn't have binoculars. They weren't, they weren't invented yet, right? But it's one of those things where God actually can, he, he sees, he sees us. He sees us when we're struggling. He saw them that they were struggling, there, there's a moment before he meets Nathaniel, and he, he, they'd actually never met face to face, and he says to Nathaniel, 
I saw you when you were under the fig tree this morning praying. God sees us, he cares about us, he knows us, and he knows our struggles. And he's not indifferent to what's happening in our lives and what we're going through. As a matter of fact, it says in the scripture, you are the apple of his eye. You are the object of his affection. And in the same way that parents sometimes experience sadness when their kids struggle, God also sent his son, Jesus, and he empathizes with our weaknesses. He understands when we're struggling. He sees us. So he comes to them in the morning, and he's walking on water. Now, when they first see him walking on water, they're, like, terrified. They're like, oh, my gosh, like, a ghost, you know, and they're kind of freaking out. But then he reassures him. He reassures them. He says, it, it's, just, it's me. And, and I don't know about you, but I can imagine the, the surprise and the confusion when they recognized him doing the impossible. It never been done before. And he spoke to them, and he identified himself, saying, it's me. Don't be afraid. When we're in a storm and we're struggling, when we're confused by things going on around us, we can have courage because his voice, it calms us. His voice calms our fears. He climbed into the boat with them and immediately the stormy wind became still. Jesus, the co-creator of heaven and earth, the Lord over the very earth that he made, he can defy gravity. He can multiply meals. He can change water into wine. There is nothing that our God can't do. And one of the things that I found as I was preparing this message is it says, what is, what is Jesus walking on water symbolize? Jesus walking on water symbolizes God's control over the elements, including the chaotic sea. Believers should not be afraid of the chaotic elements of nature or life, but instead they should place their complete trust in God. And so I believe this is a key point that God is wanting to teach us today, that when we're struggling, when we face storms in our life, God is inviting us to trust in him because He's not shocked, he's not afraid, he's not wringing his hands. He's sitting on the throne, very confident. He knows what you're going through. But I love the fact that he is with them. And one of the first things that I wanna say to you, and I wanna encourage you to say with me, say this, our God is greater. And I feel like that's a key that as we face storms in our life, and trust me, I remember the day 
that this verse actually like sank into my heart. Jesus said these words to his disciples. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I don't know why, for some reason, I always thought, oh, today I'm not gonna have any problems. Today there's not gonna be any struggles. That's the sign of a perfect day. And I began to understand, no, we are gonna have struggles. There are gonna be storms in our life. But we can take heart because he's with us. He promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's with us in the middle of the storms in our life. But he is greater. God is greater than any diagnosis. He's greater than any debt or inflation. He's greater than any relational problem. He is greater than any storm that you will face in your life. And I believe that God wants to teach his people to live free from fear when we are facing storms. He's, invi he's inviting us into a deeper place of trusting him. Jesus calmed their fears when they saw his ability to walk on the storm and calmed the storm. But this is the part that I love. At the end of that, it says they were utterly overwhelmed with astonishment. Utterly overwhelmed with astonishment. And here's the thing that I began to see. There's the fear of the storm, and then there is the fear and honor and shock and awe of God's power. And I believe what God is trying to do in this time, in his church, in his people, is to teach us not to fear the storm, but to have a holy, healthy reverence and fear and honor of God, that he's greater than the storm, that he's up to something even bigger than we can understand or imagine. Unfortunately, it ends saying that their hearts were hard and it prevented them from understanding. And so one of the things that I like to do when I read those kinds of scriptures, I'm like, Lord, help me not to have a hard heart. Help me not to recognize what you're doing. Help me to understand what it is you're doing, what it is you're trying to tell me through this scripture, through this word. Let's take a look at the second miracle. We're actually gonna stay on boat today. It's all about boats and storms. So we're gonna look at the second miracle. And if you will look at Mark chapter four, we're gonna read verses starting at verse 35. So here we go. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, silence, 
be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Today, as we spend our day out on the water, after a full day of teaching parables to the crowds, once again, Jesus tells his disciples they must cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. In both these miraculous accounts, Jesus is telling them that they are going to the other side. That's a promise. However, like the disciples, when we're facing storms, we easily forget the promises of God. They leave the multitude of people on the shores. He is apparently sitting in the back of the boat. He may have been teaching from. This vessel and a number of the boats are sailing together. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a windstorm whips up. Waves begin crashing into the side of the boat and it's beginning to fill with water. These seasoned fishermen feel overwhelmed by the nature of the storm and they begin to panic as anyone would if their ship is taking on water. Where is Jesus? He's probably exhausted after a full day of ministry. Do you ever feel like you're in a life-threatening storm and it appears that Jesus is asleep? I want to tell you the story about another sea captain. <clears throat> the Greyhound thrashed about in the North Atlantic storm for over a week. Its canvas sails were ripped and wood on one side of the ship had been torn away, splintered. The sailors had little hope of survival, but they mechanically worked the pumps trying to keep the vessel afloat. On the 11th day of the storm, sailor John Newton was too exhausted to pump, so he was tied to the helm and tried to hold the ship to its course. From one o'clock until midnight, he was at the helm. With the storm raging fiercely, Newton had time to think. His life seemed as ruined and wrecked as the battered ship he was trying to steer through the storm. Since the age of 11, he had lived a life at sea. Sailors are not noted for their refinement of their manners. But Newton had a reputation for profanity, coarseness, debauchery, which even shocked many sailors. John Newton was known as the great blasphemer. He sank so low at one point he was even trafficking slaves in Africa for a brief period. His mother had prayed that he would become a minister and had taught him the scriptures and Isaac Watts' divine songs for children. Some of those early childhood teachings came to his mind now. With both hands fastened to the wheel of the boat, Newton cried out to God, Lord, have mercy on us. After 11 hours of steering, the remainder of the crew found safety with the calming of the storm. And from then on, Newton dated March 21st as a date set aside for a time of humiliation, prayer, and praise. Upon arriving safely home, 
Newton did not venture out to seek more slaves. Instead, he began to learn Hebrew and Greek. He occasionally accepted requests to speak about his conversion in front of various congregations. Newton was eventually ordained and began to lead his own church. God changed him from a man who was an advocate to the slave trade to a man actively working towards abolishing it. Newton's literary work against the slave trade encouraged abolitionist William Wilberforce to continue his legal fight against slavery in England. Newton's story is a powerful tale of redemption and God's grace. In answer to his mother's prayer and the cry of a terrified sailor, God transformed the author of amazing grace. And that's what God does in storms. He does the unimaginable. He actually answers the prayers of a mother who died when he was just seven years old. God is usually working in ways that we don't recognize. He has the ability with a few words to rebuke the sea and winds in your life and to bring about his redemptive purposes. Well, just in case you're feeling like God is asleep at the wheel and you're heading for disaster, Look at Jesus' response. He arose from his slumber on the Sea of Galilee and he told the wind and the waves, he let the wind and the waves know who had authority. He said, peace, be still. And I hope that today you can receive those same words over the storm that may be going on in your life. Peace, be still. Recognize he's in the boat with you. You're not alone. And he has the power to command the storm to dissipate. And then came the question, why are you guys so, so fearful? Where's your faith? And that's a very important question that we need to ask ourselves. Our, fe- our fearful response usually exposes our lack of trust in God. So where is your faith? Is it in your bank account? In the government? In your ability to fix whatever it is? Or is your faith in the all-powerful, miracle-working God that no matter what happens, he he won't be shaken? One of the most life-changing principles that God has taught me is to shift my focus. When I look at the storm that's maybe raging in my life, I can get filled with fear and anxiety. I can feel stressed out at the storm. But when I shift my focus off of the storm and I put my focus on the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe, that will create a sense of peace and well-being and like even though maybe it looks like everything's falling apart around me 
It's gonna be okay. And so I wanna encourage you, it is, it is a strategy, I'm gonna tell you it works every time. So you take your focus off of the problem, off the storm, you shift your focus onto God, and it has a, the powerful ability to fill your heart with peace and to be still. You know, I can remember there was a moment in my life where a storm was raging. I was a young mom, and my little boy had, had asthma, and he was struggling to breathe, and it was terrifying to me. And there were a couple of times where he was even hospitalized with pneumonia. And I remember in those days, I was taking him to the doctor all the time. I was giving him medicine that was having a really negative effect on him. I was taking him to specialists, trying to figure out what I could do to help my little boy with this condition. And here's the thing that happened one day. It's, I suddenly realized the doctors, they've done what they can do, but they don't really have any solutions other than here, give them these drugs, give him these drugs. And that was the day that I, 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 was, I was going to Horizon Foursquare Baptist, I'm not Baptist, Horizon Foursquare Church in Ventura, and I went to the children's pastor, and I asked him, I said, will you please pray for my son he has asthma, which tends to lead into pneumonia, and will you, will you please pray for him? And he did. He laid his hands on my son, and he prayed for him. And what happened that day is that my trust shifted. My trust shifted from the doctors and how they were going to help my son and heal my son and all this stuff to God. God is, at, this, at that point, I felt like God was the only one who could heal my son. Now, I wish I could tell you that he was instantaneously healed and never struggled with asthma again. But from that time forward, I began to pray that God would heal not only my son when he was sick, but other people. Because God was showing me that he is a healer. He is a miracle worker. And up to that, up to that point in my faith, I didn't, I didn't experience him or see him in, in, in that light. But I feel like God was expanding my vision and my understanding that actually God does heal. And I have seen God heal. As a matter of fact, um, there was a time when my son was older and we were, we were up in Stockton. And uh, he's a worship, he was a worship leader and we were getting ready to play at this church. He was gonna play worship and he had an asthma attack, and he was up all night and struggling to breathe. And um, I was obviously worried about him, and, but we prayed for him in the morning. And then the, the leaders were like, it's up to you, man. You can, you, know, you can sit this one out, or you can join us for practice. And believe it or not, that night, I didn't know what he had decided because the, the worship team took off, and I was doing other things. And we, we showed up at this church, and the next thing I know, my son is playing the keyboard and he's singing with all of his heart. And I realized in that moment that whatever that asthma attack that was going on that was preventing him from singing was actually healed because there was no way he could sing like he was singing if he was having an asthma attack and struggling to breathe. And so I know that our God is a God of miracles. He is a powerful, mighty God. 
miracle-working God. Yeah, that's right. Give him a clap, because he is. He's, he's awesome. These last verses show, show the disciples moving from a place of fear from storms and circumstances to an awe and a fear of the miracle-working God who has authority over the elements. They ask the all-important question, who is this man? I need to know this man, to gaze upon his beauty, to behold him, to bow before him, to allow him to lead and guide my life and to live in awe of him and let him change me as I worship him and become like him and I need to trust him and love him with everything I am and with everything I have because there's no one like him. Never a man spoke with such authority, with such grace. Truth poured from his lips. What they didn't realize is that on the other side of that lake where Jesus was taking them was a man who was possessed with a legion of demons. And you know what? Sometimes I've, I've learned that sometimes when God is about to do something powerful, supernatural, he's about to deliver someone from demons, he's about to heal the sick, he's about to save a sinner. When God is, is, is in that moment where he's about to do something big, guess what happens? The enemy brings resistance, storms come, fear grips our heart, and we don't wanna keep going. And you know what, just about every time that I've taken a team of people on the mission field, never fails. The car gets a flat tire, you know, so many, so many things happen to try to prevent people from stepping out into something that maybe God has for them, or maybe someone else is gonna experience a breakthrough. And so I've learned, it's like, at first I might like be a little bit afraid, like, oh no, like what's going on? And then I'm like, aha, God is about to do something big. That's why the storm, that's why the resistance, that's why this is what's happening. And so I wanna leave you with this today. This is a, a slide that I put together for dealing with the storms of life. And these are just four things that will help you as you're facing a storm in your life. Strategies. Number one, fix your gaze on Jesus. Don't look at the storm, look at Jesus. Number two, Recognize that he is greater than any storm in your life. God is greater. Number three, worship him in awe and reverence. When you're going through a storm, when you feel like you don't have the strength, when you don't know what to do, worship God. I guarantee it, it will change the way you feel on the inside. Number four, put your faith in him trusting completely just like it says in proverbs trust in the lord with all your heart don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he will make your path straight 
So these are the strategies for dealing. Now I believe that although this church may be facing a storm, that maybe this nation may be facing a storm, that although Ukraine and Israel are in the midst of a storm right now, God is greater than any storm. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He will have the last word. His word will not return void. He will make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we trust in him, we believe in him, we praise him, and we fix our gaze upon him because he is the answer. I wanna take a moment as we close out the service, I wanna do a couple of things. I wanna pray for Israel at war right now I want to pray for Ukraine I want to pray for all the nations involved in these conflicts right now because there are innocent people who didn't choose these wars who are they're in a storm right now yeah storm of war so let's lift these nations up to God and then I want to also pray for you that as you're facing storms in your life, that you would know that he's with you, that he sees you, and that he has good things planned for you. So Father, we cry out to you in the midst of the storm that we see raging on this earth. We cry out to you. We lift Israel to you. We pray your protection upon her. We ask that you would bless her and watch over her and that you would use this storm in this region to cause them to know you, Jesus, as their Messiah. We ask even, Lord, for Iran and for all the innocent people, Lord, that are being affected by these government's decisions. Protect them and watch over them. May the church rise up in those regions. May she reach out to to help the poor, to help the lost, to help those who've been maybe in it, who've been injured by these decisions of their leaders. We cry out to you for Ukraine and even for those citizens of Russia that are experiencing war. Lord, we look to you, we trust you as we see the storms all over this place. And Lord, as we as a nation head into a season of storm, our eyes are fixed upon you, our trust is in you. We worship you, God, because we know that you have good things planned for this nation. And Lord, I lift every person who is here today, those who are online, and even those who couldn't come today, help them as they face their own storms in life. Help them to trust you. Help them to see you and to know you and to recognize you're with them. And if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus, who has not put their faith in Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray with me. Just pray like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me for living my life without you. Thank you that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead so that you could give me new life and abundant life and peace. Today, I open my heart to receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Come and fill me 
with your peace and give me the strength that I need to face life's storms. In Jesus' name, amen.